Get ready for the Synthesizer Library podcast. Because, let's face it, synthesizers are just cool. Hi, and welcome to this first episode of the Synthesizer Library podcast. I'm Adam Anderson, and I'm your host for the show, and I've been wanting to do this podcast for a long time, so I am excited to be here just talking to you about synthesizers, and I hope you enjoy it. So my plan for the show is to introduce a new synthesizer each week, maybe not a new synthesizer, but a different synthesizer each week, and I'll go over its key features and give you a taste of how it sounds. I probably won't have time to go completely in-depth on each instrument, but I want you to walk away with enough information that you kind of feel like you know the instrument a little bit. And if you're thinking about buying one, maybe you are a little more informed when it comes to making that purchase decision. Or just like talking about synthesizers. If you like that, that's cool too. But this first episode is going to be a little bit different because as I started recording some of the other episodes, I found that I kept repeating myself as far as what an oscillator is and things like that. So we're going to spend this first episode just going over some of the basics to kind of define some common synthesizer vocabulary words. Um, So hopefully if you're a seasoned synthesist, you won't be offended by that. Maybe it'll be a good review for you, or maybe you can just go ahead and skip this episode altogether. But we welcome everyone, especially the beginners. If you're just getting started with synthesis, today's episode is for you. Um, and at this point, I should probably just mention that the the show in general probably won't always be talking only about synthesizers, even though that's the title. Um, because, you know, what is a synthesizer without a drum machine and a Hammond organ and all those other kinds of things? So... We'll focus mostly on synthesizers, but um, we'll leave room for some of those other guys as well. Okay, you ready? Let's go. So some of the synthesizer basics that we need to talk about today are things like oscillators, envelopes, filters, DCAs, VCAs, LFOs, all that kind of stuff. So if you've seen all those things and you don't know what they mean, let's get started talking about those. So when you're working with a synthesizer, most of the time they're going to share these common acronyms, these kind of these controls that you get to work with, especially when working with the most common type of synthesis, which is subtractive synthesis. And what that really means is just that you start with a lot of frequencies and then you just start removing them to kind of generate your custom sound. Um, But other types of synthesizers also use a lot of these same parameters. Um, but So let's start with an oscillator. So what does an oscillator do? A lot of times you'll see on the panel of the synthesizer just the letters OSC, which is the abbreviation for oscillator. And sometimes the synthesizer has more than one oscillator, so it'll have OSC1, OSC2, etc. Um, the oscillator is really the the beginning of the sound. It generates a tone of some sort. A lot of times, in its most basic form, the oscillator generates very basic waveforms like sine and saw and triangle, pulse, and square. Um, And the reason these have these names is really how they appear on, on an oscilloscope. But don't worry, we're not going to pull up an oscilloscope and analyze the shape of every wave. That's really not what it's about. It's really about the um, how it sounds. And 
each synthesizer is going to have a different collection of waveforms available. Some will have all of the ones I just mentioned. Some might only have one or two. A lot of them these days have all sorts of other type of waveforms that aren't really even waves. They're, they come from samples. Um, but for now, let's just deal with some of these most basic waveforms that a lot of them do, in fact, share. So let's start by listening to a sine wave. Here's a sine wave tone from my trusty and sonic ESQ-1. So how would you describe that sound? Um, it, to me, it sounds pure and smooth. You can almost hear the soft, round shapes of the wave that you would see if you looked at it on the oscilloscope. A sine wave, you're probably familiar with it from high school math or earlier math these days um, but it just is a cyclical shape that goes rises up and falls down in nice smooth motion and the, the thing about the sine wave is that in its purest form it has no harmonics okay I just said another word that I need to define the word harmonics um, what does that mean it's probably easiest to think about it in terms of musical notes so Harmonics give sounds their distinguishing characteristics. It's how you know the difference between middle C on a piano versus the same note on, say, a violin. Both notes uh, from both instruments share the same fundamental frequency, which is how you can determine that it's a C versus an A, for example. But the instru instruments also add a mix of other frequencies at various multiples of that fundamental frequency. Okay, so you're still with me? Uh, don't worry, we'll, we'll clear that all up. So, And we won't dive deeper into the topic of harmonics too much. Anyway, but to review, sounds, any sounds out there in nature are made up of some fundamental frequency, which is really what you perceive as the pitch of that sound, but not only that pitch. It, there's a mix of other related frequencies that are all mixed together to give that instrument its own sound. And that is sometimes called timbre, which is spelled T-I-M-B-R-E, but pronounced timbre. Um, but you just need to know that any natural sound out there has more than just the one frequency that you perceive. So what I said back about the sine wave is that it is a pure sine wave that has no harmonics. That means it is just the fundamental frequency of the note. So it doesn't have the mix of other frequencies that most, well, that all natural sounds have. And so because of that, it's, it's a great building block when you're making sounds from scratch, if you just want the fundamental frequency, which maybe you want, maybe you don't. It depends on what you're doing. But as it turns out, the sine wave is actually somewhat difficult to generate in its purest form. So the synthesizers that you'll find out there, while they say sine wave, they probably do actually have some harmonics in them. Okay, so now let's move on to a saw wave. Here's what that sounds like. It sounds quite a bit different, right? How do you describe its difference from the sine wave? More harsh, maybe, maybe fuzzy or something like that. If you were to look at the picture of the wave on an oscilloscope, you would notice that it, it rises in a sharp diagonal direction. 
and then drops off sharply and then starts to rise again. And it kind of looks like the teeth on a saw, which is why it has that name. But in addition to the fundamental frequency, it produces harmonics. The saw wave actually produces both even and odd harmonics, creating a very full set of frequencies that you can use to shape your sound. Okay, wait a minute. What did I mean by even and odd harmonics? We haven't really defined that yet. So remember when I said that harmonics are some multiple of the fundamental frequency? At least I think that's what I said. The even harmonics are two, four, six, eight times that fundamental frequency or more. The odd harmonics are three or five or seven times the fundamental frequency. Um, just to be clear, the multiplication keeps going on much further than that, much further than we can actually hear. And I, I don't know if it, um, if natural sounds are multiplied infinitely, but that's kind of trippy to think about. But anyway, back to the saw wave. The, the wave is rich in harmonic frequencies because it has both even and odd harm, harmonics. So, now let's listen to a triangle wave. That one was actually from my microcorg since the ESQ1 doesn't offer a triangle wave. Anyway, how does that sound different from the sine or the saw? Maybe a little thinner than the saw, but not as pure as the sine. The shape of this waveform is kind of related to both the sine and the saw. It rises up at a sharp angle and then descends at that same angle instead of shot instead of dropping off sharply down to zero. So it kind of has an even rise and fall like a sine, but also has sharp peaks like the tri uh, like the saw wave. The harmonics of the of the triangle wave include the fundamental frequency plus odd harmonics, but not all of the odd harmonics are in this are are present at the same volume. And the exact makeup of the harmonics is probably more complicated than we need to go into at this point. Just know that it has odd harmonics. Okay, check it out. That made sense, right? I said this particular waveform has a fundamental frequency and odd harmonics, and you really knew what I was talking about because you've been following along. Hey, that's great. You're learning. Okay, so let's move on to the square wave and the pulse wave, which are really the same thing. I'll explain why. Um, so here's a square wave. And here is a pulse wave. The square wave shape looks like, well, a square. It rises straight up, stays flat, then descends straight down. And it consists of the fundamental frequency plus all the odd harmonics. And it's often described as sounding kind of hollow. Now, the square wave is also really useful in programming, um, not just synthesizer programming, but um, DSP programming, things like that, because since it's kind of an on and off state, it can be used to trigger things on and off. But that's not really what we're going to use it for when we're building um, sounds. So the square wave is actually a special case of the pulse wave. That's why they're related. In the square wave, the width of each individual cycle is the same 
as the height if you were to look at it on the scope. So we're kind of simplifying some things here. So that width of the cycle of a square wave is called the pulse width. And when you get into pulse waves, that pulse width starts to vary so that it's not equal to the height of the wave. And that's why it becomes a pulse width instead of a square wave. I mean, a pulse wave instead of a square wave. And there's something called PWM that you might see on some synthesizers, which stands for pulse width modulation, which allows you to change the width of the pulse as the sound uh, continues. So don't worry too much about that. We may get into that at some point in the future, just, uh, just letting you know if you see PWM, think pulse width modulation. Okay, we're covering a lot of ground here quickly, and I'll post links to more in-depth explanation on all of this in the show notes for the episode at synthlib.com slash podcast. So just to recap, oscillators make sound. That's really what you need to know. Um, and they make all sorts of different kinds of sound, but that is the original source of the sound in your synthesizer. And many modern synths offer a lot more waveforms than those we've discussed so far. In fact, like I mentioned, a lot of them include complex sources like noise generators, sampled sounds, and other uh, just complex sounds. Um, and they all appear in the oscillator section of the synthesizer. And while technically some of them might not be oscillators in that they don't oscillate, um, that's you. That's just where we put the sound source in our um, signal path. So when you think oscillator, think sound source. Okay, this feels like a good place to take a break and introduce this episode's sponsor. Since this is a brand new podcast, I don't actually have a sponsor, but an official sponsor anyway. I, I would like to thank my friends over at DBX for letting me audition their new mic preamp, the 676, which is what I'm using to record my voice right now. And, you know, I'm just auditioning it, but I may need to buy one because it is a fantastic tube mic preamp and it has a channel strip with EQ, compression, and limiting. It really looks gorgeous. The controls are solid and smooth. The VU meter has a vintage look to it and it's really responsive. And the sound, I think, is just pure and pristine, clean. It sounds great. And if you push the tube a little bit, it can get slightly dirty. And it actually has a separate control for the tube, so you can control that separately. And the compression is just effective and transparent. Yeah, I can go on and on about this. Um, I think I really did just talk myself into buying it. So if you want to know more about the, the 676 mic preamp, head on over to dbxpro.com and learn more. And if your company is interested in sponsoring the show, you can get in touch with me at synthlib.com or me emailing me at adam at synthlib.com. All right, back to synthesizers. So the next component that I'd like to talk about today is the envelope. And a lot of times they're abbreviated on the control panel as ENV. Sometimes they're called envelope generators and then they're usually abbreviated just EG. So what does an envelope do? Well, the main purpose, is, purpose of the envelope is to shape the amplitude of the sound over time. And the amplitude is basically just how loud the sound is. 
So back to our example of a piano note versus a violin note, when you strike a note on the piano, the sound starts very quickly. Then it slowly decays while you hold the key down, and then it ends fairly quickly after you release the note, with just a few milliseconds of ongoing sound while the string stops vibrating and the wood calms down in the cabinet of the piano. Now imagine a violin note. It doesn't have that initial percussive sound of a hammer hitting a string like on the piano, but and it could have a gradual introduction, or it could start very quickly with a sharp attack. It could be a long sustained note, or it could be short. And then it usually decays pretty quickly once the once the bow stops um, sliding over the string. So in the end, it's kind of similar to the piano note, where we're just waiting for the string to stop vibrating and for the instrument to stop vibrating. So these two descriptions characterize the envelope of the sound. So what did we talk about? We talked about how the how the sound starts, how it continues, and then how it ends. And that's really what it's all about. Of course, depending how you play the instrument, the envelope varies. And on a synthesizer, you program in the envelope when designing the sound. And um, it really shapes how the oscillators sound over time, as far as the volume. Okay, so are you ready for another acronym? When we talk about envelopes, we often talk about ADSR. What does that mean? Okay, it stands for Attack, Decay, Sustain, and Release. Some synths have more complex envelopes than this, but most are based around this good old idea of ADSR. So attack is how quickly the oscillator makes a sound when a key is pressed. Decay is how quickly the sound starts to die down. Sustain is the level, basically the volume, of the sound after the decay is complete. And release is just how long it takes the sound to be silenced after the key is released. Okay, so just a side note here. I keep referring to the keys on a keyboard when I'm talking about synthesizer. And I know from a purist standpoint, a synthesizer doesn't necessarily have to even have keys or a keyboard interface. But it's kind of the easiest way to describe an envelope. So we're going to stick with it just for now while we talk about envelopes. So here's an example of a sound with a short or a quick attack. And here's an example of a long attack. I think the difference is pretty easy to hear, right? Even though you might not be able to hear when I press the key, you can tell that the short attack sound starts very quickly while the slow attack kind of fades in slowly. Okay, so now for decay. We're going to keep a fairly quick attack on these and listen just to the decay of the note. Here's an example with a short decay. And here's an example with a long decay. So with a short attack and a short decay, you make percussive sounds. And the opposite, a long attack with long decay, is more useful for gentle strings and pads and things that build up and thing, things that take a while to build up and then die back down. So now let's move on to the S in ADSR, the sustain level. Note that this one is different from the other three parameters because it is not a time-based uh, parameter. It's 
uh, level-based. So it is the level or the volume of the sound after the attack and decay times are, have completed. So here's an example of a fairly quick attack and decay with a high sustain level. And here's one with a low sustain. So with a quick attack, a quick decay, and a, and a low sustain, our percussive sound is moving into the realm of an actual drum sound, where with the high sustain level, it retains the initial percussive sound at the beginning, but the note following it is more musical, like that of a piano. Okay, now for the last part, the release. This one is pretty easy to understand. When you release the key, how long does the note continue to sound. The time it takes to be silenced is the release time. Here is a very short release. And here is a much longer release. You can hear the difference, right? Um, in their extremes, both the short release and the long release can have a really dramatic effect. Think of a sound that, that maybe builds up in volume and then it just ends abruptly really quickly with a short release. It kind of has a dramatic feel to it. Well, the same is true on the other end. A, a sound that builds up and then just kind of lingers for a really long time, you wonder when is the sound ever going to end. It's also dramatic. So, just a different kind. So, I... I would pay attention to the release. A lot of times that's kind of the last thing you think about when you're designing a sound. The release, I think, is, is key. Anyway, um, so we've covered a lot of ground today in this one podcast, and I'm starting to think that we're going to need a few more episodes to cover all the basics because we haven't covered LFOs, MIDI, DCAs, and things like that. So we'll, we'll go over this a few more weeks. If you need to review this episode to make sure you understand oscillators and envelopes, I think it'd be a great thing if you're a beginner. So one more quick review before I let you go. So oscillators, they do what? If you said that they generate sound, usually with some basic waveform, then you're correct. Okay, what about envelopes? What do they do? Very good. They shape the sound over time, specifically regarding the volume of the sound. All right, so next time we'll talk about shaping the sound regarding the frequency or the pitch using the filter. And we'll talk about LFOs, which can be used to uh, shape both the pitch, the frequency, the volume. Um, you can use LFOs for lots of different things, and we'll discuss all that next time. But that's it for now. And thanks for listening, and check out more at synthlib.com. <laughs>